she's an American board certified OBGYN. She's the CEO of Jobs.Mom. We're women. We're moms. We're Muslims. And we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Salaf Lodi. And I'm Zabin Mirza. This episode, we're talking about condoms and contraception. Before we get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is we're not giving any kind of religious or medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health, please speak with your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because we just happen to be two Muslim women who like sex. Should we get started? Let's. (laughs) So let's talk about contraception and condoms. And we could spend hours talking about condoms. We can spend hours talking about all the other types of contraception. Let's talk about the condoms first. And then we can go into, I know you have a long list of contraceptives that that we can go through. Let's talk about condoms, male and female condoms. What do we need to know? Absolutely. So uh, let's start with the male condom. There's um, three different types of material that the male condom is made out of. So we have the plastic silicone, we have the latex, and we have um, the lambskin condom. They are 85% effective. And I think, to be honest, I think it's actually probably even more than that if they're used um, properly the way they're supposed to be used. They must be used every time before intercourse. And um, the important thing to know is that the penis has to be erect for a condom to be placed. And um, it's an effective barrier that prevents the sperm from entering the vagina and protects well against STIs if it's made out of latex or plastic. Um, It does not protect against um, STIs, which are sexually transmitted infections, if it's made out of lambskin because the pores in the condom uh, the lambskin um, condom are just too big and they allow bacteria through. So for example, gonorrhea, chlamydia uh, will be able to go through that condom. Some men prefer, prefer the lambskin condom because they say it feels more natural, but you just have to know what its limitations are. Um, the latex or the plastic sheath, a silicone Condoms, they are effective, uh, very effective barriers against sexually transmitted infections because they don't have those large pores um, that will allow chlamydia or gonorrhea to go through. And, um, you know, so it's important that if you have uh, intercourse and you need something that's cheap and easy to use and something that you can carry around with you, um, condoms, male condoms are the best way to go. And, um, and that's what I wanted to say about the male condom. And they all, of course, prevent against pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy, which is probably the most important thing. Yeah. And I think I think that's a really important point. Cheap, easy to access, right? You can get them over the counter at the drugstore. There is no reason to not have one. Now, a few important points beyond what Salaf just mentioned is size of the condoms, right? We all think, you know, it's, it's, you know, you go into the, the drugstore and you think, oh, I want to get the extra large magnum. 
my friends, if you are a medium, get a medium. If you are a small, get a small, right? It's there. It's fine. I mean, it's fine. You want to get a condom that fits you properly because if it's too big, it's going to slip off and then it's not, you know, serving its purpose. That being said, also, when you buy the condoms, and as Sadaf mentioned, you carry it with you. And again, women, there's nothing wrong with carrying male uh, condoms with you if you are sexually active and or you are expecting to have sex, right? But don't use old condoms. They deteriorate, right? They stop being effective after a really long time. If they've been sitting in your bag or in a wallet for a year or two years, probably not a safe bet to use those condoms. So make sure they are not expired. They have been kept or stored in a place that is um, that is safe and uh, the material has not deteriorated. The packaging is not open. Um, do not reuse condoms, right? Uh, I think that's an important point. Like, you know, use it. You've, you've come in it. It's done. Throw it out. You cannot use it again. Um, just, you know, may or may not be obvious, but important to put out there because again, condoms are only as effective as they can be if they are being used uh, properly. Absolutely, Zabine. Absolutely. So what about the female condom? So the female condom is about 79% effective. It is plastic. Um, it is a plastic pouch that's placed inside the vagina and it forms a physical barrier that prevents the sperm from reaching the egg within the uterus and can protect against sexually transmitted infections. Okay. So it's easy to use and um, easy to be placed inside the vagina for a woman if she wants to use it. And those are also readily available over the over the yes. counter at drugstores. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And those are also single use. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Now, so we've covered condoms and condoms are probably the most common or commonly known and accessible method of um, contraception or birth control. What are the other methods of contraception we should be talking about today? Yeah, there's so many, Sabine. So definitely. Um, and because there's so many, there's always an option for a woman. And, you know, most of these contraceptions are geared toward women, right? The only contraception that is geared for a man is the male condom. Uh, right now, although there's a study that's coming out about um, a product that may be akin to the birth control pill, but uh, it may be universal. So that I think we have to wait and see what happens with that one. But for right now, all the all the other contraceptions are geared toward women. So we have, first and foremost, we have the birth control pill, right? So birth control pills are... Um, here it says actually 91%, but it's really 99% uh, effective if, of course, they're used as they're meant to be used, which is one pill daily around the same time every day. Um, birth control pills are a combination of both estrogen and progesterone, although there are uh, pills that are progesterone only as well. And a lot of times women will use that uh, postpartum because estrogen can decrease milk supply. So if a woman is trying to breastfeed, uh, a lot of times her OBGYN will suggest that she, and she wants to go on some type of pill, will suggest what's something um, that's called a mini pill, which is a progesterone only pill. And, or she could have some type of progesterone device placed, and we'll get into that as well. But most uh, hormonal birth control pills are both estrogen and progesterone. 
and they're taken every day and they're pretty affordable. Um, and they work by preventing pregnancy by stopping ovulation. And as we talked about before, ovulation usually happens mid-cycle. So these pills prevent the ovulation from occurring and they cause a thickening of the cervical mucus that prevents the sperm from entering the uterus and um, fertilizing the egg. But the important thing to know about birth control pills is that they don't uh, protect against sexually transmitted infections. So even if you're on the pill, which is a lot of times what I would hear in the office, you know, a woman would say, well, um, you know, I'm on the pill, so it, you know, I'm not going to get pregnant. And that's correct. She, she, if she's using it properly, she won't get pregnant. However, she's still at risk for sexually transmitted infections. And so condoms, especially the male condom, um, protects her the most from sexually transmitted infections. So that's the first one. Um, then we have the hormonal implant, um, which is 99% effective. It's convenient and lasts for up to five years. Um, it prevents pregnancy by stopping ovulation and thickening of the mucus. Um, and also prevents the sperm from entering the uterus. Um, it's thin, it's rod size, it's placed in your upper arm. And it's um, placed by your medical provider. So it could be, you know, it could be your GYN, your midwife, whoever. They can implant it in your arm. It continuously releases the hormone progesterone for five years. It's convenient because it's ready in your arm. You don't have to think about it. Um, and again, it prevents pregnancy, but it does not prevent sexually transmitted infections. So again, you know, the partner would have to wear a condom if that's what you were looking for to prevent sexually transmitted infections. Okay. Um, the next one is we have the injection, which is the Depo-Provera injection. So that is an injection that um, is good for three months. So every three months, it's progesterone only. So a woman that's breastfeeding could have it. Um, she could get that injection before she even leaves um, the postpartum unit. And uh, that would be on board for three months. It does um, impact the cycle. So for example, any of the progesterone only um, contraceptions may affect a woman's menses um, in the sense that it can make it irregular and or they may not even get a menses at all. And um, that happens sometimes and we'll get into the IUD, which is an intrauterine device, but that can happen sometimes with a progesterone only IUD okay. and with the injection and with those mini pills. Um, and then, so we just talked about the Depo-Provera, which was the injection. That's 94% effective. Um, next, we have the hormonal patch, which is um, uh, oral conscious, which is a birth control, which is a patch that goes on. Um, they say it's 91% effective, works just like the pill. It contains both estrogen and progesterone, and it stops ovulation. It thickens the cervical mucus. It's fairly affordable. And it is to be replaced weekly. But again, um, it doesn't prevent the sexually transmitted infections. Um, next, we have the intrauterine device, which are the IUDs. There's two types. There's one that is the copper. Um, it contains no hormones. And the copper IUD can stay inside of a woman for 10 to 12 years. And um, the thing to know about the copper IUD is sometimes it can make menses heavier and uh, the cramping more severe. So uh, it doesn't do that for all women, but it may. So that's something to know with this copper IUD. But what women like about the copper IUD is that it doesn't contain any hormones. And right. it's an 
safe and effective form of contraception and Zabine, um, it is a good form of emergency contraception. I don't know if you know that. So um, a copper IUD can actually be inserted into a woman uh, up to seven days of um, after having unprotected sexual intercourse. And uh, it would uh, prevent the woman from becoming pregnant. So it has been used as emergency contraception. And I think that's really, and I think that's really important because as I'm listening to this and what's so great is that we live in a day and age where this type of medical, you know, advancement is available to us. We have so many opportunities and options for contraception, right? We have the pills, we have IUDs, we have the implants, we have the patch. One of the things that you mentioned was emergency contraception, right? Because these are all premeditated contraception, but emergency contraception is something that, you know, is also available to us in the event that, you know, something happens that is unplanned, a condom breaks, we forget to take a pill or the patch falls off or what have you, or we didn't have protection, we got caught up in the heat of the moment. So talk to me a little bit about emergency contraception. Is it over the counter? What are the different types? When is it most effective? How does it work? Sure, sure. So there are actually three um, currently forms of emergency contraception. There is Plan B, which is available over the counter. You do not need a prescription. It is, um, again, it's a progesterone only pill and um, it can be taken within the first 72 hours of unprotected intercourse. Then you have uh, Almira uh, or Alira, actually, it's called. And that is, again, another progesterone only pill. It can be taken up to five days. And that's the important thing about that. Um, and it prevents unwanted pregnancy. And again, that's used, uh, but that one requires a prescription. So you'll need to call your provider to get a prescription for that one. Um, and lastly, you have the copper IUD, which here it says five days. Um, in other reports, I've seen up to seven days of unprotected intercourse. And you can have a copper IUD inserted and that itself will prevent an unwanted pregnancy. So there are options, you know, if, like you said, if something happens and um, you had intercourse and there was no form of contraception that was used and you're really not trying to get pregnant, um, there is emergency contraception that is available. One thing to note, Sabine, is that um, the Plan B, there have been some studies that have been done that notes that the Plan B may not be as effective for women with higher BMIs, for example, if uh, women are greater than 175 pounds, um, that plan B contraception may not be as efficacious. So that's important to know. And um, the other uh, contraception that we talked about, uh, Alira, that they say is um, does not have a weight restriction. And of course, the copper IUD does not either. The problem with having a copper IUD as an emergency form of contraception is that you have to go to the doctor's office, right? It's not something that can be called in or that you can take, you know, on a holiday if you have some like holiday hookup or something like that, um, or in the middle of the night or something, you know, it's, it requires an appointment. So that's kind of the drawback for the copper IUD insertion, but um, it does work well to prevent uh, an unwanted pregnancy. 
Yeah, and I think that's really important. And and for everybody that's listening, you know, I'm I'm listening to all of this and I'm just thinking, again, we should destigmatize birth control. We should destigmatize contraception. Um, people are going, and and I'm going to say this: people are going to have sex, right? For if there are parents listening, thinking about their kids. If there's anyone listening, thinking, oh, if I don't talk about contraception, then they're not going to be encouraged to have sex. They are going to be having sex. People are going to be having sex. It is a natural instinctive, normal, healthy thing to do. The idea is to make sure that we set up our kids and especially our women, right, um, for sexual success, right? And for me, sexual success means that I am taking pleasure in it. I am consenting. I am enjoying it. And I am healthy, right? I am, I am not uh, under any kind of duress in terms of worry about pregnancy, worry about sexually transmitted diseases, right? Um, I have full ownership of my body. I understand what works for me. And so I think it's really important that, you know, we talked to Sadaf in, in uh, previous episodes about um, preparing young girls for their periods, right? That And that's hard. And we laughed about our period exp- experiences, but we need to prepare our young girls for sex also. And that means talking to them about consent and then talking to them about contraception and what prevents pregnancy versus what prevents sexually transmitted diseases versus what prevents both and what right. your options are. So talk a little bit about preparing girls, women, and and even anyone that maybe had never had that kind of exposure or support in their lives, as many women, even from our culture, don't have. What advice would you give them about contraception and the use of contraceptives? Right. So I think, um, you know, one of the most important things is meeting with a gynecologist. Um, And so for the moms out there that have daughters, you know, meeting with um, a gynecologist that you trust and that you can confide in, and then introducing your daughter to that same gynecologist once she starts to menstruate. I think that's the kind of like the cutoff. You know, in the beginning, it may just be like a talking to, you know, the adolescent female um, as she starts to go through like her first menses. And then as she gets older and has more questions, you know, answering those in a very honest and um, I think in a nurturing way so that she always feels welcome to come to you with any type of questions and knowing that whatever she says is going to be confidential, you know, and I think building that doctor patient relationship with women, with young girls is so important so that they, it leaves a good lasting impression so that they always know they can trust their gynecologist and go to one. Um, And I think that's one of the most important things to have. Um, and knowing that uh, it's a safe environment to discuss anything that they may have a concern or question or curiosity about, right? So I think that that's important. Um, But like you said, I think it's important to talk to girls about consent, about uh, pleasure, about contraception, and what to expect. And in terms of again, what we talked about, you know, what prevents sexually transmitted infections as opposed to what prevents um, pregnancy, 
And sometimes you get lucky and you get both in one in the contraception, right? Yeah. And I think also what you're talking about in terms of building the relationship with the gynecologist, you teach your young girls from an early age when you do that for them as their parent, right? To be able to comfortably advocate for themselves and for their body freely with their medical providers. Because I know it took me many years, right? Even when I was pregnant with my first child, I was uncomfortable to talk to my gynecologist about, you know, many things, which is so bizarre because clearly I had sex to get here because that's how I ended up in this position, right? Pregnant. So I think just by simply helping to foster that relationship goes a long way to destigmatize sex and to really, again, set your daughter and, and your sons up for sexual success. Because I am telling you, whether you talk about it or you don't, whether you teach them or you don't, they are going to do it. They are going to seek it out. It is normal. It is healthy. It is natural. It's important that we teach them the safest ways and uh, the safest ways um, to go about doing it to ensure their own um, mental and physical well-being and that of their partners. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Sadaf, as we close out here, any last words that you want to talk to our listeners about, about contraception, about condoms, um, about STDs and, and preventative um, measures as it comes to both men and women, boys and girls, um, and having sex? Sure, sure. So actually, Zabine, we still had a few more <laughs> contraceptive devices, but I'll just name them and then our listeners can perhaps look them up as we uh, may be running short on time. But we do have uh, the cervical cap, which is also a type of contraception. We have the diaphragms, we have the birth control sponge, we have a spermicide and gel, um, we have uh, the vaginal ring, and of course, um, you know, the fertility awareness or the rhythm method that some people use. We also have the withdrawal method that I think we spoke a little bit about before. Um, so those are, you know, all ways in which people use um, to prevent pregnancy. But I think, um, again, as we spoke about before, I think that the most important thing is uh, awareness and I think self-advocacy and uh, consent I think that those would be my biggest takeaways. And I think knowing um, the difference between what prevents sexually transmitted infections and what prevents pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. And this contraception conversation is important to have with your children um, and even with your partners if you're adults, right? Um, I think this is an important conversation to have. A lot of women in relationships even are afraid to broach the topic of contraception for fear that it might turn their partners off because either their partners don't want to wear a condom or their partners, you know, don't want to do X or Y, right? And to that, I would say consent means and consensual sex means that both partners not only agree to have sex but they agree to have the ter- they agree to the terms under which they will be having sex which includes the use of contraception which includes you know making sure both partners are health tested and clean and it's okay right and this takes you know younger 
you know, listeners and, you know, men and women, boys and girls, often years to develop that confidence to, to, to ask their partners, hey, have you been tested? Are you clean? You know, that person is going to want to have sex with you, whether you ask this question or not. That is not going to change, right? But you need, again, to have that confidence and to teach your children to have that confidence as they grow up, as they begin navigating relationships, and as they begin to explore um, the physical aspects of those relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as always, Sadaf, it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you might have. So we're done here. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.